Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paul Ledagnan. This week we'll be talking about earaches. We'll also hear about upcoming registration for Camp Cadet and Sunny Day Camp. We'll meet Ron Plaucha. He is with the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club. And we're going to start off today with Ashley Wolo and Jeff Polanin. They're from the Griffin Pond Animal Shelter. And they have a new program to tell us about. Ashley, it's very nice to meet you, and you're brand new. I am. Are you brand new to the area or just to Griffin Pond? Um, Well, I'm brand new to the position. I've been with Griffin Pond for about three years. I started off as a kennel attendant, and I slowly made my way up the ladder. A kennel attendant. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've experienced everything in the shelter. When we're talking about Griffin Pond, it's been around for a long time. Very long time, yes. And a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. Changes changes will always happen in the shelter world, that's for sure. Especially when it comes to animals coming in, animals yep. coming out. So besides being a uh, kennel attendant, what else is your background? I've uh, actually been in the foster coordinator position. I've done adoptions. Um, I've worked with other rescues before. I've, I've been working with animals for probably about 10 years now. I wouldn't want to do anything else. It's absolutely amazing. There's always something new going on. Every animal that you interact with has a different personality. So that's one of my favorite parts about working with them. I, I've experienced a lot in the animal world and I love it. Absolutely love it. So now I have to ask, yes. how many do you own? Oh, I don't know <laughs> if I can say that. I have a few dogs. A few. <laughs> They're all small, though. So I guess if you put them all together, it would make like one or two big dogs. But I have a few dogs and I have two cats. Five dogs. Five dogs, two cats. You have to you have to limit yourself at some point. <laughs> and that, that brings me to one of the big questions that people always ask about adopting. Yes. How do you make a decision When someone comes in and, you know, you have so many animals and Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about uh, the the need for so many homes, but you don't just want to say, okay, here you go. Right. So um, we have an adoption process and our adoptions team and our kennel attendants, they take the time to get to know the animals, um, which is a really good thing because then it helps us place the animals in the right home. So for example, say we have a dog that isn't good with kids. We obviously, we're not gonna send that dog home to a home with kids. So getting to know the animals um, definitely helps with placement. And of course, we'll talk about the Doggy Day Out program, but that's that's a huge help um, up at the shelter. So yeah, we, we definitely take the time to learn the animals' personalities, and then we go through our adoption process, and then we place the animals in the best home. And again, you have a responsibility mm-hmm. to the animal, yep. to the potential adopter, to the community. Yes, I come in and I say, well, Ashley, just because the, this dog doesn't like kids now, I know I can change that. 
It's tough. It it is tough. It is tough because having an animal in a shelter environment, of course, we don't know the full personality. And that's where the Doggy Day Out program comes in. We do everything that we can, I should say, to learn the personalities inside the shelter. We don't always know the background. But if, let's say you have kids and you want to adopt a dog and we might not be sure if the dog's okay with kids. We'll always do a meet and greet beforehand so we could see how the dog interacts with your child. And if it turns out to be a good thing, then great, you you can take the dog home. And that's <clears throat> that's kind of the same thing, too, when you say that if you already own a pet, mm-hmm. you should bring the pet. Exactly. If you have another animal at home, if you have another dog and you're, you're looking to add another dog to the home, we'll always do a meet and greet beforehand because we want to make sure that the dogs get along. Of course, we don't just want to ship the animal outside of the shelter without knowing for sure. Right. And that's tough. Yeah, it is. It is tough. But, you know, that's why we're there. We take the time, we learn the animals and we go through the rest of the process. We we follow through with it. And we always like to tell the community that even if something might work out at the shelter, you take the animal home. We're still there. We're still a phone call away. Don't just want to give you the animal and then say our goodbyes. We want updates. We want to help you through the process. If there is a process, we just, we always want to be there. We're always a phone call away and we want the public to know that. A lot of times too, especially in the shelter situation, you're dealing with animals who are brought in and they, you don't know their background. Right. Yeah. So is there, uh, how does that work for someone who maybe loses a pet and they wonder, you know, well, how long, what if they pick up my, my dog? What if they pick up my cat? Is there a period of time that you are obligated to hold that pet to see if someone claims them? Yes. So legally, we are to hold an, a stray animal that comes into um, our care for 48 hours. After that, the animal goes up for adoption. It'll, it could get transferred to another rescue. Um, but legally, we hold them for 48 hours. In that 48 hours, it gives us a chance to begin learning the personalities of the animal. So um, upon intake, we can see if they have any personality quirks, how they do on a leash, for example, just those basic things to learn about a new animal. Even same with cats. We'll learn if they like to be picked up or if they like to be held or or if they just like to be left alone. <laughs> <laughs> and you if can't... they get along with dogs or exactly, other cats. <laughs> exactly. So we, we sometimes learn those things in the first couple of days. Sometimes it takes even longer. We've had some animals in our care for a few months and we're just learning new personality traits about them that we didn't know before. Well, and again, they adapt to their environment. Exactly. So things can change exactly, then when yeah. they go where you have animals that come in who have never been on a leash, mm-hmm. who have never gone to the bathroom other than on a concrete floor. Right. I mean, break your heart, but you have to talk to people about those things because you have to have patience. Right, exactly. Patience and training. That's a big thing. That's what we always tell our adopters because even when an adopter comes in to adopt one of our animals, we can't say for sure how they're going to act in a new environment. You know, even if we know their background, they're going into a new environment. They're leaving the shelter and they're going into a new home. So we can't say for sure how it's going to work out, but we're going to be there to give you tips, to walk you through anything that you might experience and to help you in any way that we can. No matter what, you have the animal's and the ad- potential adopters' best interest at heart. Yes, so we do. Sometimes All people the time. may not agree, mm-hmm. but that's the way it is. That's now, why we're here. You mentioned a program. What is this called? It's called the Doggy Day Out program. A Doggy Day Out. Yes. Now, to me, that means spa. <laughs> <laughs> if hey, if you want to take the dogs to the spa, that 
that's perfectly fine. Um, the way the program works is you'll put in an application and we select the dogs that we feel will do good, I guess you can say, on a doggy day out. So you can arrange a time to come and pick up one of our dogs and you can just take them out for the day. You can take them for a car ride. You can take them to the park. Just to, it, it helps the shelter learn their personalities outside of the shelter. So it's a really great program. It just started. We've already had a few dogs uh, participate in this program, and it's been a success so far. So, so far, so good. All right. Well, you brought this young man with you here. And yes. I, from what I understand, Jeff, you have been involved. You you brought Doggy Day out. Is that correct? Yeah, I actually started it recently. How does all this work? Now, Ashley gave us a little bit of an overview, but if you're if you're the one who's in charge, and I come up to the shelter, and I say, Jeff, I heard you on the radio, and I want to do Doggy Day out. What are you going to tell me first? First up is to go on our website and fill out a short application on there. It's basically just background info on you, where you plan on taking the dog, and what your plan for the day is. I mean, sending these dogs out, we always want to know where they're going and what what you plan on doing with them because we don't want them being in any dangerous situations where they may be injured or injure somebody else or something like that. So first step is to get that application submitted so I can take a look at that. Once that's approved, um, I'll e- give you an email just saying, hey, you're approved, and we'll try to schedule a day that you can take a dog out. So do I get to come up and pick out the dog, or do you have to decide what works well for me? Usually I'll give a couple choices. Um, Knowing the personalities of the dog is kind of important. There may be a dog you want to take out, but that dog may be too powerful for you to walk on a leash. It may not be good with children who are on your day out with you. So, I mean, I do have to take personality of the dog into account when giving you that dog. So you may not have your first choice, but I usually try to give one or two options. All right. Now, this sounds like a rather ambitious idea because I give you all my information. Do you keep my driver's license or do you just trust me that I'm going to bring this dog back? Well, on the application, you actually write down your driver's license number. And then when you come to pick up the dog, we actually make a copy of your license. And there's a, a little a waiver you sign and everything like that. And we keep that on file. And there's a certain time you have to have the dog back by. You have to have it back by 3 o'clock every day so that we know ahead of time um, when the dog will be coming back. And like I said, we always know where you're going. We have cell phone numbers and things like that. So, I mean, it, it does take some trust from us that you are going to bring the dog back. But we do our best to make sure that the people taking the dog have good intentions. What if something happens? I mean, there's always that what if. Um, yeah. We give our our volunteers all the information we can on what not to do with the dog. There are some guidelines on our website that you can check out where you're not allowed to take the dog, such as dog parks, having the dog off leash, having the dog around other animals. So there are guidelines you have to follow to keep the dog and people safe out there. But I mean, there's always the what if we just want to see these dogs get some time out of the shelter and try to get a little bit more freedom than we can provide on a daily basis. Okay. So now you've had a dog or two who have gone out. Yeah. Do they end up getting their forever home? A couple have so far, um, but not everyone. I mean, a lot of the people that are volunteering, the the purpose of the program is to get the dogs out and have them have some time outside of the shelter more than usual. It's not necessarily a program for people to come up and try to spend more time with an animal that they're interested in adopting. I mean, that's great if they want to. That's fantastic. But it's more a program just to get the dogs out and get them more enrichment outside of the shelter environment and to learn about them, as Ashley said. Because when people take these dogs out for the day, we learn so much more than we can learn on their two walks a day that they get. We learn if they're good in a car. We, get, we learn how they are walking by people on a, in a, on a trail in a park, how they react to other dogs outside of the shelter. Because they may 
bark at other dogs in their kennels, but outside the shelter, they may be totally fine and passive with dogs. So we'd get to learn how their personality would be outside the shelter. So when they leave, are they already, um, because again, one of the things that you would have to worry about as a responsible dog owner or a dog borrower in this case, um, or a dog wannabe owner, do the dogs go out with their shots and they have all that kind of uh, stuff taken Mm -hmm. care of? Yeah, every dog that goes on a doggy day out or any dog that's at any of our adoption events outside the shelter is fully vaccinated already. So they're totally up to date on everything. Wow, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, it's going well so far. Now, Ashley, I'm I'm going to ask you now because we're, you know, we're talking about all these things and of course there are all these legal ramifications of things that you have to think about, but Jeff did also mention the um other adoption events. Do you find that they actually work? Oh, the adoption events, that's actually probably my favorite part about the shelter. They will never get old um, because there's always something different. You always meet new people. You get to interact with new people. And I love taking the, the dogs and the cats to the adoption events. I definitely think that they help us tremendously. I've been to so many adoption events over the last few years, and the turnaround rate um, for the animals getting adopted is fantastic. For example, like the parades, the the Christmas parade, the St. Patrick's Day parade, even those are amazing. And that's really? not even a, an adoption event. That's just a, a parade that we participate in. We get to uh, take the animals out and let them interact with people and before you know it, before we even get back to the shelter, there's people calling us and asking us about these dogs and these cats. And it's fantastic. It's a great turnout all the time. I've never, I, I definitely cannot turn down the adoption events as far as uh, whether or not they're a good turnout for the animals because they are. Parades. I think, I think they're walking past and you don't even get to see anybody. No, you do. I mean, <laughs> you have those little, the, the, little increments in the parade where you get to stop and and people get to actually see the animals and I've had people run up to me before and say hey what's that dog's name like can I pet it this and that and like I said it's it's always been amazing and so much fun because it's amazing to see how excited people get they get as excited as we do because we want these animals to go home just as bad as everybody else does so how does it happen now that you're over capacity I guess that's just the animal world I we've adopted out over 160 animals in the last two months, but we're still operating over capacity. I don't think that'll ever change in the animal world, whether it's stray animals coming in, which is what we see the most, or people just finding themselves in a tough situation where they have to surrender surrender their animal. It, it's just, that's the animal world. I, I guess there's really nothing you can say to it. it. One of the biggest things that we always promote and push is, is spaying and neutering your animals. If you run into a sticky situation and you find yourself uh, having to surrender your animal, you can always even give us a call and we'll try to provide you with other options before surrendering your animal because that's something that we don't like to see. We want to see the animal stay in the home that they're in. I'll give another example. Let's say your cat starts going to the bathroom outside of the litter box. We can provide you with so many different options um, as far as what you can do before surrendering your cat. And, and that's what we're here for. We don't want to take your animals. We want them to stay in the home that they're in because that's what they know. And, and it's sad when they come into the shelter because it's a whole new life. It's a whole new environment. And they might acclimate themselves, but it's no home for an animal. Mm-hmm. The shelter is not a home for an animal. It, it's just like a temporary placement. Like I said, if, if anybody runs into a situation, we'll help them out through anything. But, of course, we want to be there to help. And uh, the stray animals that come in, like I said... We see those the most. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you're ever missing a pet, if one of your animals goes goes missing, you can call up to our shelter. You can put in a loss and found report. You can post pictures up. You can send us messages on Facebook. You can check our website. You can check other Facebook groups. Um, as soon as a stray animal comes in, we post those pictures everywhere because, like I said. We don't want to keep those animals. We want them to go to their homes. How important is a microchip? Oh, I can't fathom how important microchipping is, whether it's a cat or a dog or even a a bunny. Like if you even have a rabbit at home, microchips are so important because you never know when your animal is is going to be an escape artist and and exit out of your home. And who knows where they they could end up. They might not even end up at our shelter. They might end up at a vet. They Mm -hmm. might end up at a police station. They might end up with somebody who just saw them running around on the streets, you just, you never know. So having a microchip is extremely important because as soon as that animal gets scanned, which almost every place does that now, mm-hmm. your information will come up just by finding that number that's in the back of the animal's neck. And we'll, we're able to contact you then. So it's it's super cheap. It's definitely helpful. And if you're looking to get your animal microchipped, we can even help you with that. Um, so you can even call up the shelter. We can help you get your animal microchipped and there's one burden off your back. And we've talked about cats and dogs, but what about the rest? You have you mentioned bunnies. It's it's not like it's not like your cat dog specific. I mean, we've seen pigs, we've seen farm animals, we've seen uh small animals, we've seen reptiles, we've seen it all. Um they don't normally stay at the shelter as long as the cats and dogs do. Well, right now we have three rats, and that's the only other type of animal that we have besides a, co- a cat and a dog. But we've see, we see them all. You just have to check our website or call us if you're looking for something specific. But, yeah, we, we definitely see them all. So, Jeff, let me ask you real quick here now. We've talked about doggy day out. Is it possible this is going to expand? I mean, we're going to have to see it's still kind of in its infancy as far as the program goes. I'm hoping that it would expand. I've seen other shelters do these types of programs, and they are super successful, and they have dogs going out every day for these types of things. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Hopefully it does go big. To cats? Maybe. We'll see. Maybe those three rats? (laughs) Hopefully they find a home before that. (laughs) Well, that would be wonderful. Ashley, I'm going to bring you back one more time. Anything that you would like to add about Griffin Pond that you who who are now the new executive director up there, want our audience to know? Griffin Pond has definitely changed um, over the last year. We're in a really good position, and our goal is to just keep moving forward. We're here to help the public and to help the animals in our care um, and even help the animals that aren't in our care. Uh, we're there for the community, and we're there for the animals. I definitely encourage the public to come up, check us out, check out our website. It's a brand new website. There's always things going on. If you're looking to volunteer, you can always come up, volunteer. There's so many different ways to volunteer. If you want to donate some of your time, we definitely have lots to do. And there are a lot of new things going on and we're just very excited about it all. So we encourage everybody to come up and check us out. Thanks again to Ashley and Jeff for joining us. And while we're talking about animals, I don't think that he's ever been to Griffin Pond, but you can find him in Punxsutawney. Don't go away. More special edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. Next weekend, Punxsutawney Phil makes his prediction for, hopefully, an early spring. Ron Plaucha is with the Groundhog Club, and he has all the details. First thing that I have to ask you is, what's a stump warden? Everybody asks me that. Good. Um, I've been in the club for many, many years. And when I entered the club back in the late 90s, I guess it was, 
the, the president at the time, um, that's his duty to give me my official title. And his title was Wind Warden. So I don't know if he used that and groundhogs come out of the stump or whatever, but I officially became the stump warden, so that name has stuck with me. Officially, back in the early days of my career in the club, I was on stage all the time, so I was sort of like Bill's personal bodyguard when he was in the stump. And so if there was any danger from coming from the crowd direction, my job was to throw my body over the stump uh, and protect Bill. I, actually, they gave me a pair of Kevlar underwear to wear. Uh, so if you can picture that, I would be over the stump facing, well, not facing, but facing away from the crowd. So hopefully that never happened. No, I'm, I'm glad because those Kevlar underwear were really uncomfortable. What is the history of the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club? Back in the 1800s, and the club actually formed <laughs> as a hunting club. Uh, they would hunt groundhogs, <gasps> get together, Does and oh, yeah, know that? get together and cook them. The actual Groundhog Day, the whole thing about Groundhog Day, is a um, sort of a takeoff from a European holiday called Candlemas Day. On Candlemas Day, which happens to be the middle of winter and spring, is right in the middle, and so is Groundhog Day. There was a saying that if the sun shone on Candlemas Day, there would be two winters. And so the German folks who settled in our area sort of brought that idea with them. And uh, being that there were lots of groundhogs in the area, well, you got to consider now, if the sun's shining, those groundhogs are going to see their shadow, right? Right. And so if the groundhog sees his shadow, there's going to be a second winter or six more weeks of winter, and that's how it all started. And so we've kept this thing going now. This is our 133rd year coming up. One of the oldest celebrations in the country, if not the world. It certainly has evolved because this has now become not only Groundhog Day, but it is a groundhog almost way of life. Oh, it is. Um, We've become an international event. And we do have folks who follow us sincerely throughout the year. Uh, They make pilgrimages to Punxsutawney just to come to Gobbler's Knob to see Phil. It's sometimes hard to explain, but uh, just a silly little thing has become a really important part of people's lives. Having been to Punxsutawney for the first time recently, it's a wonderful area. There are statues of Phil throughout the entire area, and it's, it's just so welcoming. But who would have ever thought that this would have come from this simple little groundhog? It is. It's it's hard to explain, and I sometimes tell people, you know, Groundhog Day is not really a serious event. We just have a lot of serious fun, and you got to understand that. And it is a break away from all the troubles in the world and troubles in your life. If only for one day, just come and celebrate and have fun, and then, you know, those troubles are going to come back. Don't worry, they'll be back, but <laughs> at least you can forget about them and, and enjoy. But, of course, the Groundhog movie, uh, which is become one of the most popular movies of all time, that really put us on the map worldwide. As soon as the movie came out, our crowds went from a 1,000 or two to tens and 20,000 and and even higher than that. This year, we could have our largest crowd ever. We are um, anticipating a huge crowd turnout because it's Saturday morning. Absolutely. uh, And we are sold out of virtually all of our tickets. Uh, for everything. Wow, so, that's great. Uh, if you're planning to come, um, 
you can still come. I mean, you don't need a ticket to get into Gobbler's Knob, but our extra events, are most of those are sold out. And you do have a wonderful website, groundhog.org? We, we do. We, In fact, we just launched a new website here just several weeks ago. And so any of your listeners who would like to take a look at um, what goes on can write, go right to our website. There's a schedule of events. In fact, the first thing you'll see, there's a yellow banner at the top that'll say the banquet, the the ball, um, our hospitality village, all of those things are sold out. There are no tickets remaining. Uh, parking passes are gone. Uh, but again, you can ride a bus. We have a, we have 80 buses running. Now I have to ask you this, okay. and I promise I won't tell anybody. <laughs> What's up with the inner circle? Who makes this up, and who comes up oh, and wait. gets to talk to Phil about the prediction? Okay, the inner circle, there are 15 of us. We're the guys that wear the top hats and tuxedos. We are actually the board of directors of the International Groundhog Club. Everybody can join the Groundhog Club for a fee. Uh, and again, you can check that out on our website. We each have different jobs. I had the opportunity and the privilege of serving as Phil's handler for six years. I retired from that job a couple years ago because... I am the oldest member of the inner circle. I hate to say that, but I am. And so the, the responsibility of, of, of caring for Phil and taking him everywhere that he needs to be became a little challenging for me. Um, I have grandkids, and I needed my time to spend with them, so I passed the handler job on to a younger member. Uh, but each member has different jobs. One, one, one guy's in charge of, of Gobbler's Knob, making sure the area is prepared. Uh, we have a marketing director. We have, of course, a president. Um, my job, I have a couple different jobs. One of my jobs is to um, analyze and process the ambassador nominations and uh, decide if people are are worthy for that distinction. And I'm also in charge of the Stump Warden Soup Kitchen, which is a, a big event. That'll be the day after Groundhog Day. So, yeah, again, we all have jobs, but we are selected. When, uh, when a, a member either moves away from the area or passes away. That's the only way you get out of the ground. So. <laughs> the only way you get out. <laughs> and and you, men- you mentioned the fact that you are also involved. It's not just Groundhog Day. But oh, my, no. Your oh, organization no. is involved in so many fundraisers yes. And, yes. and so many other things. You know, Phil, Phil is, uh, Phil's presence is required a lot of times throughout the year. As, as his handler, I took him to so many different events, school events, uh, visits. We'd go to nursing homes. We'd go to corporate events. We'd go to major sporting events. I mean, we were special guests of the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Altoona Curve. Um, and he just draws a crowd no matter where he goes. So people know that. And uh, so we try to accommodate as many requests as possible. Um, I would say during the year, Phil probably has 100 to 150 appearances. So you're not going to be at, at Plankstonia and would like to see what goes on. Um, the Pennsylvania Cable Network actually carries um, the festivities live, 6 o'clock a.m., right through the prediction. Um, and, yes, you can go, again, on our website, uh, any information you want. I believe there might be a live streaming. I'm not sure. I'm not into that phase, but I think they live stream the event. Um, there are contact uh, information on there as well. So uh, the website is probably the place to go. 
Now, my other question that I promise I won't tell anybody okay. the answer to. Where do you learn groundhoggies? <laughs> I was a handler, okay? I was with Phil every day, and even I couldn't speak groundhoggies. <gasps> uh, the only way we can we uh, kind of communicated is if I did something he didn't like, he'd bite me. <laughs> That's how we communicated. So I lost a lot of blood. I have a lot of scars in my hands. So when you become president of the Groundhog Club, you are presented with this very special cane. That's the one that he taps on the door with. Right. It's made of acacia wood. And this cane has been passed down through the years. And that cane gives the president the power to speak groundhog oh. Yeah, that's how it works. Now, let me tell you what happened here. When I was handler back probably about six or seven years ago, our president went through the whole process, and he interpreted Phil's prediction as being an early spring. Okay, now, we were at the end of March, and we're still at zero degrees and it's snowstorms and everything else. And we're getting all kind of uh, questions, and I'm appearing on national television shows trying to defend Phil's prediction. And we discovered that actually Phil does, Phil never makes a mistake. Uh, the president misinterpreted what he said. Oh. And so what we ended up doing, we had to send our president uh, for a six-week refresher course up in the Himalayan mountains that summer. And we think that he got him straight out and studied hard. Oh. So not make those mistakes ever again. It's a secret place in the Himalayas that, that only that does this, this uh, uh, groundhog gaze. And actually, it's not a spoken language. It's a language of facial expressions and eye movements and and bite marks. Things like that. Bite marks. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> Ron, for the folks who <laughs> have never been there, for what this is all like? It's like better than Christmas Eve as a kid, even. It's it's like everybody's anticipating. A lot of people like fireworks, but I'll bet most of your listeners have never seen fireworks at 6.30 in the morning <laughs> that are going off directly over your head. They're not like at a distance. And it's just spectacular. I can't use any other words for that. It's In fact, this year we have one of the military groups that will be singing the national anthem, which is going to be in itself spectacular. It's hard to explain or describe it. You almost have to be there. Uh, a lot of people put Groundhog Day on their bucket list. It's something that you've got to experience one time in your life. As well you should. Now, can you do one favor for me? I sure can. Can you whisper in Phil's ear can, and make it early I spring? I I, I can whisper in his ear, at which time he'll just turn around and bite me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully Phil's going to give us some good news, but we never know. We, well, we just pretty much take what we get, and that's it. Yeah, again, he won't really care, but I'll, I'll tell him that anyway. Thanks, Ron. I know I, for one, am hoping that Phil will predict early spring. We'll be back with more Special Edition Don't Go Away. Welcome back to Special Edition, and as always, thanks for joining us. In this segment, we're going to find out about Camp Cadet and Sunny Day Camp. Trooper First Class David Peters with the Pennsylvania State Police Troop In Community Service Officer is joining us, along with, also from Troop In, Pennsylvania State Police Trooper Anthony Petrosky, Community Service Officer. They're going to tell us about the two camps that are going to be coming up. They have all the details, including where you can register and all the information you need. Right now, we're going to introduce you to Pennsylvania 
Pennsylvania State Police Trooper First Class David Peters to tell us about Camp Cadet. to hear about this every year. Camp Cadet. Well, Camp Cadet is our uh, Pennsylvania State Police Youth Program um, involving youths 12 to 14 from the counties of Monroe, Columbia, Carbon, and Lower Luzerne counties. It's a week-long camp that allows the kids to interact with law enforcement, see what actual law enforcement training is like in that type of setting. Um, Challenging for them in a a lot of respects, but uh, a lot of resources they get to see with the state police and other uh, local agencies. Now, how long... Trooper Peters, have you been involved in this? This will be my 20th year in the Troop and Camp Cadet program. All right. Trooper Petrosky, how long have you been involved? I've been involved for 10 years with Camp Cadet. So between the two of you, you have a little bit of time under your belts with this. A little bit. What have you seen that has changed? I know Trooper Petrosky, you know, you, uh, yeah, you, you just mentioned the, you know, the, the things that they, but now you're up against cell phones and is the turnout less, more, the interest waning? Uh, No, I think on an average, we, we go about 225 applications every year. Um, So we're very, you know, we're very successful in that when it comes to our Camp Cadet program. Uh, the cell phones, are, yeah, that's a big key for kids. I mean, you have to start adding smartwatches now. I mean, that was a big thing we went through on the packing list, like trying to find all the technology that could be worn. I'm sure there'll be smart earrings sooner or later we won't even know about. <laughs> when, when we're talking about something like this, Trooper Petrosky, why don't you come on in here? Yeah. And it, again, you know, you have the, the interest obviously isn't waning, but is what they're interested in changing? No, I don't think so. There's so many kids out there, even at the ages of 12 to 14, they know what they want to do. They know they want to go in law enforcement or military, and they know this is the camp that's going to push them and give them an introduction to those type of fields. Because I would think that in the past, everybody thought, well, you know, we're out there, we're stopping vehicles, we're searching for the bad guys. But now there's so much more, and and the reason I'm kind of interested in all this is because you also as officers have to adapt to the way that things change and over all of these years you've seen your reports now on social media you're getting uh, more tips via text messages so how do you explain that to young people well you know just like they adapt to their environment so do we so we have to adapt with the changes also Otherwise, we're going to be left in the dark. So we have to adapt to that also. So we're learning from them, and they're learning from us. And it's it's not then like Trooper Peters that you're ignoring those who come in and say, well, I'm kind of interested in getting into computers and forensic computer stuff because that's become very big now with things like Megan's Law and the other things that you're involved with. Well, a lot of the presentations I see during the week, I mean, it doesn't cover everything in law enforcement, but they get to see, you know, it, it, say our accident reconstruction individual might be there. Um, they get to see how math that they're doing in school applies to someone's job. They get to see what forensics is really like and not what you see on uh, CSI and things like that. And, and yeah, we have adapt, like Trooper Petrosky said, but one constant stays the same, and that's the challenge. And I think that's something kids are probably have some difficulty in the beginning 
You know, who who signs up to wake up at six o'clock on your own, stand at attention, run a mile and a half, and then, you know, have to stand to or, you know, dress people as sir and ma'am, keep their rooms clean. I mean, it's it's a challenge, but we we believe that it's a challenge that will carry with them in life that they, when they're, you know, they have that confidence to make stronger decisions as they get older. Since you both, again, have had the opportunity to be involved in this now over the years, have you run into, have you followed the careers of some of the campers that you've dealt with in the past? Have you found out that, hey, they have now applied to state police? You're both shaking your heads. Yeah. Could somebody give yeah. me an yeah. example? And it's great because actually two campers that went through not that long ago are going to be going into the Pennsylvania State State Police Academy, I believe, next month. Oh, So that's very exciting. It's nice to see them. They wanted to, to be a trooper when they were that age. They followed through, and now they're going through the academy. So it's really it's really neat to see. Trooper Peters? We have actually two individuals at our Hazleton station. Uh, one of them, a corporal with the state police that gone through Camp Cadet, and uh, a young man who just came on the job that we had to go back in time to kind of remember him because he went through Camp Cadet, and they grow. Uh, so yeah. you see them here and then they grow and they get facial hair and you, you don't recognize them anymore. So, but yeah, it, the program has yielded individuals who have gone into law enforcement or pursued other careers. That's great. And and they do keep in touch with you. That's even better. Yeah. That's the hardest thing. You know, a lot of people come up to us at the fair and like, I went through Camp Cadet like in 2007 and I'm like, Lucky I remember what 2017 was like. And then now they're six feet tall. I don't. <laughs> and it's a good thing you didn't go through today because now you can't even look me in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking about Camp Cadet, and, and there are different ones that happen. Now, where and when does yours happen? Ours uh, goes July 14th through the 19th. It's held at the uh, Penn State Hazleton campus. Um, so it's a week long. They can get applications now at any state police barracks. Uh, as well as the local schools in the four counties that I mentioned earlier. Um, they can also go to uh, www.troopncampcadet. We just launched a fa- uh, uh, webpage this year that will provide them information on camp, uh, necessary forms, as well as a registration form. And speaking of that, do they also have any kind of monetary that they have to come up with? Is there a, a cost? You know, we ask for a $20 registration fee, um, but that's it. Again, this is a week long. They get all uniforms for the week. Food and lodging is included, so we think that's more than fair. Yeah, that's great. And and they're at they stay at Penn State. Yes, they Hazleton? stay there. Um, all the counselors are troopers and municipal officers, so they're in good hands. Wow. Now, if a parent is listening and say, "I just heard this on the on the radio, and I would like to find out a little bit more because I'm a little leery," and and the other thing I'm going to say to both of you is, it's not just boys. No. No? Have you have it have you had an influx of, of females? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have quite a few females that register. Uh, based upon the way the setup is the dorm, we, we're only permitted to take thirty two females. So we do uh, that side is always filled. Um, you know, unfortunately the, the male side is uh, twice that size, but on the female side it's not. So we, we really do a good job maybe even getting people in the last minute. Uh, that have registered to make sure that the girl side is well represented and and filled on that side. But you do have a lot of females that law enforcement, uh, military careers. We've had a a few of our individuals have gone on to be Marines um, or explored other options. Uh, 
So getting back to the parents, then, if they have questions, <laughs> why do I think Trooper Peters has, has, an, has, a, has a real good story he can't well, share he, with he's us? He's had a lot of questions over the past 20 years involved in this program. But you know what? It's very simple. They could go to our website. That's the, the, the biggest resource we have to put information out there about our camp. It's troopncampcadet.com. There's a video about camp. There's information and our contact information. If they had any questions, they could always give us a call. And when do the applications have to be in? March 31st is the deadline. (laughs) There's two camps going on. So Sunny Day is Saturday, May 11th, and that's our one-day camp cadet experience for individuals with special needs or disabilities. It's completely free. It's a lot of fun. And it's that camp cadet experience for those individuals who unfortunately wouldn't be able to meet the rigorous needs of camp cadet. Now, you say individuals. Is there an age? We take individuals ages 8 and up. We have no cutoff age. Two years ago, the first year that we did it, we had two individuals in their 70s who attended. Awesome. They move around. They see um, all different displays, law enforcement, military displays, interactive displays. We have a selfie station. We have a face painter. It's a lot of fun. And they could go about it as they please. And where is that? That's held at the Pocono Racetrack. So it's not like you have to stay overnight? You no, just... it's from 10 a.m. till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and if for some reason they had to leave, they could leave whenever they need to. Okay, and what about the uh, information as far as registration and all that stuff? Everything is on our Camp Cadet webpage. Again, oh. troopandcampcadet.com. There's a tab for Sunny Day Camp. You could click on that. It'll give you information on it, and it'll give you the registration page. And when do you have to have that in by? We're taking applicants until April 6th. Oh, okay. So, yes. we've, so we've got all the Plenty dates. Plenty of time. We've got all the websites. Yes. Anything else that we've left out? Any questions about either camp, feel free to give us a call. Once again, thank you to Pennsylvania State Police Troopers First Class David Peters and Trooper Anthony Petrosky for joining us from Troop N in the Hazelton area. And a reminder, you can go on to their Facebook page or go on to their website and find out more information about Camp Cadet and Sunny Day Camp. Now, earaches. They can certainly be an unwelcome thing any time of the year, but especially in the winter. Dawn Webster is a physician's assistant and assistant medical director with MedExpress in Pittsburgh, and she has information about earaches and other things. So many viruses... Now we hear about something called a norovirus, and it always seems to have to do with cruise ships. Is that something that people have to worry about if they're not taking a cruise? Yes, absolutely. It's actually a very common virus, especially this time of year. Yes, absolutely. Again, a lot of times people will say, well, I'm hearing about this norovirus, and we aren't sure if that's what it is. How do you know what you have? The best thing to do is, if it does last more than a couple days, to seek medical advice, to get examined, to have some tests done, to find out exactly what it is that's causing it. Is that the same type of a test that you take for the flu, the the nasal swab? No. Typically, this type of test, they actually have to test your stool. And how do we know, then, that maybe it's not caused by something like food poisoning? Sure. Well, it's tough to tell the difference. One of the first things you look at is, when did it start? So if you went to a restaurant and an hour later you're having stomach ache and nausea and vomiting and diarrhea, it's not food poisoning. Food poisoning cannot start that quickly. 
But a lot of times, just by looking at the timeline, when it started, what were you doing, you know, 12 hours before it started, or what did you eat, you know, 8 to 12 hours before it started, that's one of the ways we can kind of figure out what may be causing it. Does something like food poisoning come along cramps, but what about a fever? It can, yes. It can have a low-grade fever, absolutely. Is there also a stool test for food poisoning? Yes. So food poisoning is most often caused by E. coli. And most of these things actually are considered self-limited, which means they're going to run their course. And in a young, healthy individual, you don't actually need treatment. As long as you're getting lots of rest and taking in lots of fluids, they're going to run their course and your body's going to fight them off on its own. But in anyone that may have any type of underlying illness or um, in the very young or the very old, they may need some additional support, some fluids, some IV medications, and those are the people that, you know, we really worry about. E. coli is a bacteria that you get from undercooked food or not washed correctly food, and that is also tested um, with a stool test. We're also going back to the norovirus. We hear, wash your hands. With the norovirus, we're washing our hands. With food poisoning, we're washing the food? The food and your hands. So essentially, you can contaminate anything by touching raw meat, um, by touching raw eggs. If, you, if you're cooking, you need to wash your hands. If you are uh, using a cutting board for meat, you need to wash it very well before you use it for anything else. And a lot of people actually recommend having separate cutting boards for fruits and veggies than they use for their meat. One of the other things that a lot of people are talking about around this time of the year are getting earaches. So when you look in someone's ear, you're actually looking at a couple different things. You're looking at their ear canal, and that is what's affected when someone has an external ear infection or swimmer's ear. So someone gets some water in their ear, it gets infected. So you look at their canal. Is it red? Is it swollen? If that looks okay, um, you know, you can look a little bit further back. You can actually see their eardrum. And when you look at someone's eardrum, it should be nice and shiny and clear. If it's red or bulging or there's fluid behind it, those are all signs of an infection. And how does that happen? Typically, it happens with a common cold. So someone gets a cold, they get congested, and the congestion actually in your sinuses and your face affects your eustachian tubes. Your eustachian tubes are the tubes that go from your ears down to the back of your throat, and they drain all that fluid that naturally occurs. When those tubes get congested or blocked off, that fluid doesn't drain, and that's what can cause an ear infection. That fluid sits in there and gets infected. Mom always said, put on your hat so you don't get a breeze in your ear and get an earache. Is that true or false? It's always good to wear a hat, but it doesn't necessarily cause an ear infection. There are a lot of children who, you know, especially kindergarten, first graders, they wake up and they say, oh, my ear hurts. And where does this come from if they don't have other symptoms of being treated for a cold? Kids especially, they their anatomy isn't quite developed yet. So a lot of times their eustachian tubes, instead of kind of being long and straight, are kind of curved. So even when they're not necessarily sick or congested, just the natural curves in their anatomy can make them more prone to the ear infection. Putting tubes in the ears, what does that mean? When a child or even adult gets recurrent ear infections, it's, it's never a good thing to keep taking antibiotics. And at some point, they actually become not as effective if you keep taking them. So essentially, what, what an ear, nose, and throat doctor can do is they can take a little tiny tube and um, put it into the eardrum to create a hole. And so what that hole does is anytime there's fluid out there, it doesn't have to drain through the eustachian tube. It can actually just come right out. 
and then it doesn't get infected. And when you mention these tubes, can you see them from the outside? No, absolutely not. You can only see them with a notoscope. Some parents will say, well, I put my hand up and boy, was there a lot of heat coming out of that ear. Is that maybe a fever? Yes. When someone's fevered, their ears absolutely can feel red and warm. Um, But if they do have an ear infection, a lot of times they do have a red, warm ear, but it's not you know, a 100% guaranteed thing. Another mom thing, you don't put anything bigger than your elbow inside your ear. Correct, yeah. You don't even want to put Q-tips in your ear. If someone has even a little bit of wax and you use a Q-tip, it can actually push it back, cause pain, cause an external ear infection. Um, You really don't want to use anything in the ear unless, you know, you're at the doctor and and they're taking a look. And what about ear washes? Well, if you get them done by a physician and ear nose and throat doctor, absolutely great idea. You don't, it's not really one of those things you want to try at home. Thanks again to Dawn Webster, physician's assistant and assistant medical director at MedExpress in Pittsburgh. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.